Welcome to the Grace Church's podcast. The message you are about to hear was recorded live during our Sunday service. Follow along with the message by downloading our app, available for both Apple and Android phones. And now, for our message. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned to you on the first day of the year, when we were here, I mentioned to you that I was excited about the future. And I want to make some clarifying statements about that excitement this morning uh, before we jump into where we're going um, in this next season. I I want to make sure that you understand that my excitement about the future is not rooted in some vision that I have or some new thing that we're going to do. Not that there's anything wrong with new things. My excitement about the future is not connected to a new strategy or a new program here at Grace. Here's why I'm excited. I'm excited because as darkness increases, the people of God stop doing ministry and church and discipleship and all the things that people do. We stop doing those out of our own strength. And when it gets really dark and things get really tough, God's people become desperate. And my conviction is is that we are best as followers of Jesus when we are desperate. When we go, this just isn't working. All of the things that we've done and relied upon in in times past, they're not working. We need to lean in. We need God to show up and do what only God can do because we don't know how to deal with this. And that's why I'm excited because the the darkness is growing. It is very, very hard and it is getting worse. And the world around us is, is is in a slow decay. We're watching it happen, but I'm excited because God's gonna do his best work as we are desperate for him. Amen? So it's not because we have all these great things to share and I have all these great ideas. It's not that at all. It's because I believe the people of God are going to become more desperate. So in uh, the last quarter or so, about three months, I have been going back and reviewing things that the Lord has said to Susan and I over the last couple of years that we have been here at Grace. And I want to remind you of something as I was reviewing, I came across and was uh, praying on a couple of words that the Lord laid on our hearts, uh, directional words for this church from... Uh, about two years ago, I think January of 21, in that time frame. The two words came from two different scriptures, Isaiah chapter 37 and Genesis chapter 26. You may remember this. The first, the first uh, guiding word, directing word for our church was about um, being rooted and fruitful. Isaiah chapter 31, I'm sorry, verse 37 verse 31 says this. It says, the surviving remnant of the house of Judah will again take root downward and bear fruit upward. The second, ver- the second word is from um, Genesis chapter 26, and it is about the word Rehoboth. That passage of scripture is where Isaac is, is redigging the wells of his father Abraham, and every time he digs a well, there's a fight, there's a quarrel. And so he keeps having to stop where he's digging and go to a new place, and he tries to dig again. After this happens three times in Genesis 26, verse 22, it says this. It says, he moved from there and he dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. And so he named it Rehoboth, saying, for now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be able to be fruitful in the land. So the two words were, in this season of, and I don't mean for a year, but in this season of the life of the church, we are to be focused on extending our roots downward and bearing fruit upward, and there is going to be space for us. God is taking us into a place of Rehoboth where there will be adequate space for us to spread out. And I believe... These are still in force as guiding words. Like, I'm not announcing to you this morning that, okay, that's all happened, we're good and rooted now, and there's enough fruit, and we've spread out enough. No, we're going to continue to embrace both of those words. They are for us, for right now. God is still speaking that to this church, I believe. 
But what I want to share with you is something additional that he has placed upon my heart. And I am, to use the word that is overused, I am excited about that as well. It is an additional prophetic directive for this church for this time. And I believe that the Lord wants to use the first nine verses of the book of Joshua to guide us in the season ahead of us. And that's not, again, for a year. It could be longer than a year. It could be shorter than a year. I don't know. But God is saying to us, this is what I have for you right now. And so we're going to take the next three weeks and we're going to work through that passage of Scripture because I believe it gives insight not only into our current situation, but it is showing us direction for the future and what God is willing to do for us if we will trust him if we will walk in faith. It's a communal word, but it is also a word for us individually. So would you turn to the person next to you and say, this is probably a word for you individually. Go ahead and tell them. If they look at you funny, just say, you wait, you'll see. It'll it'll happen. By the way, Joshua is, as a book, Old Testament for sure, the most up, encouraging, inspirational, motivational, positive books in the entire Bible. Most books in the scriptures have like kind of wonderful parts and difficult parts. Joshua is almost entirely positive and, and um, victorious. It's really a book of victory. And so I'm excited that we get to go into that book for this next season. It wasn't like I said, I have a word for me from the book of Job. We're going to be there for the next season in life of our church. I didn't say that. I said Joshua, not Job. So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 1. And before we go any further, could you pray with me as we open God's word? Lord, thank you. In a world that is constantly questioning everything, we stand upon the truth of your word. Lord, this word does not move. And we want to anchor our lives to it, Lord. We want to be filled with its truth. We want to be able to live out completely the love that we learn about from these pages. Holy Spirit, cause your word to come alive in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you want to turn to Joshua 1 or scroll to Joshua 1 on your phone, let me give you a little backstory before we start. The beginning of Joshua is a point of spiritual transition in the life of the nation of Israel. Uh, Israel, as you probably know, was in slavery in Egypt for more than four centuries. And they were brought out miraculously, powerfully, under the leadership of a man named Moses by the power of God. They were brought out of their slavery into a place of freedom. Like we talked about back in, um, back in December, Galatians chapter 4 talks about moving from slavery to sonship. That is a picture of what happens in Exodus. We move out of slavery into a place of freedom, into a place where we're now sons and daughters of God rather than slaves of the Egyptian taskmaster. The people come out, and it was God's intention for them to go out into the, into the, uh, into the wilderness. They were going to connect with God. They were going to sacrifice to the Lord. These are things that, that Moses said to Pharaoh. They were going to have that time. And then they were going to move directly from receiving the word of the Lord. They were going to move directly into their, their future home, a territory that is often referred to as the promised land. All that means is that God promised it to those people, to his people, Israel. They were going to go, and they were going to take that land. They were going to move into it. But because of faithlessness, faithlessness and disobedience, a trip that should have taken a few months by the time they got the word and moved over and went into this place called the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land promised to Abraham, instead of it taking a couple of months, it took 40 years because of the consequences for their disobedience and faithlessness. And so when we're at the beginning of Joshua, we are at the end of 40 years of people wandering around in the desert. And the interesting thing 
that, that we have to understand is that, is that it's not because of anything other than the spiritual condition of the people that it took so long. Like it wasn't a big, huge mountain and they just said, we had to figure out how to get over this mountain. That wasn't it at all. It wasn't a lack of leadership. They have the best leader, Moses. Amazing leader. Hears from God. Legit. Does stuff. Miraculous. He is the leader. They can't, they, they're not lacking leadership. They're not lacking the ability to navigate. They're not lacking resources. When they leave Egypt, they are so wanted to, um, to leave Egypt by the Egyptian people because the plagues that God has leveled are so awful, they literally rob the people of Egypt. And I mean that robbing in the spiritually good sense. They plunder, it says, the people of Egypt. They leave with all the money. They got the best leader in the world and they got a couple week walk. And it ends up taking 40 years because of internal, not external issues. Israel's obstacles were always internal, not external. They lack faith in God, and they lacked a willingness to obey his commands. So as Joshua starts, the book of Joshua starts, you've got a new generation that has been replaced, I'm sorry, that has replaced the faithless and disobedient ones. And so they're younger as a group than their parents. Numbers chapter 14 says that part of the consequences for their disobedience, and there's all kinds of things that happened with that, but part of the consequences was that anybody that was 20 years old and older didn't get to go into the promised land. So they wander around for all of these years. Now think about this. This is the most, I mean, it's a, it's a horribly depressing thought. We're going to walk until all of you die. Walking, walking, walking. Oh, more of them, I mean, you, in one sense, you'd be like, oh, that person died. In another sense, you'd be like, oh, that's one less person that has to die before we get into the promised land. They walk and walk and walk, and they're dying off, dying off. So the oldest people, when this started, were 19. So 40 years later, that makes them... Good job. Somebody can do math. Way to go, Ben. 59. The oldest person in this group, other than Joshua and Caleb, the oldest people in the group are 59. So the, the oldest ones remember Egypt a little bit because they would have been 19, 18, 17, 16, whatever age they were. So they have some memory of what it was like to be a slave. But a lot of the people standing there with Joshua at the beginning of this book don't remember Egypt at all. They have no context for what, what happened. They know the stories They've heard about what God has done, but they have not seen his work firsthand. And this is going to become important as we move into this series. But I just want you to think, most of the people, out of the million or so people that are standing there, many of them have no context, firsthand experience of what happened in Egypt. All they know is we've been walking around for a long time. We've been setting up camp and watching that pillar of cloud or pillar of fire. And when it moves, we move and we go set up camp again. And they've been doing this for decades. And so Joshua, the, the, the leader of the nation, at the beginning of this book, he is in a place called the Plains of Moab. And I'm going to show you this map. I don't usually do this, but here's a map. And this is the area that we're talking about. They've been wandering all over the place. And um, that, that little red thing, I guess we're going to drive there, so we needed to put a Google pin down or whatever. But that is Shatim, and that means acacia grove. And at that green part on the right there, that's the eastern side. Those are mountains. You come down into a place that flattens out. It's called Plains of Moab. And that's where this part of Joshua takes place. Now, if you see that little blue line in the middle, that is the Jordan River. And so from that red dot, which is Shatim, over to the Jordan River is 10 miles, give or take. So when Joshua receives this word for the Lord in Joshua chapter 1, they are 10 miles from the conclusion of a 40-year journey. That's why this series is called 10 More Miles. Because we, I believe, are being led by the Holy Spirit in, in parallel with the people of Israel in Joshua chapter 1 to finish the 10 miles and to begin to walk out living 
in our Canaan, living in our promised land. So let's read it together. Joshua chapter 1. I'll I'll read. You read along on the screen or on your Bibles. This is out of the ESV, verses 1 through 9. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over the Jordan, go over this Jordan, and you and all the people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Verse 3, every place the, the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. For the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left that you may have good success wherever you go. Verse eight, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. When I read that, And there's lots of passages in Scripture that are like that. But when I read that particular passage of Scripture, my faith just gets stirred. It's just, it's it's a motivational thing. God has come along and he's he's guiding and he's directing, he's motivating, he's warning, he's telling him what to do. But when I read that, especially in this season, feeling like this is what he's saying to grace, I get excited because he's going to do it. We're going to cooperate, we're going to participate, but he's going to do it. He's inviting us into something. He starts off in verse 2, he says, you know, Moses is dead, really funny thing, like as if Joshua didn't know that, but it's just clarification, Moses is dead, now we have a new leader and a new generation. The baton has been passed, the second in command is now the first in command, but the job that Moses was given was never completed. Israel never went into the promised land. They didn't leave Egypt to walk around in the desert. The whole point of leaving Egypt was to one day inherit their own space. And they, Moses got like part A done, but he didn't get part B done. And so now God is saying to Joshua, you get to do part B. You're going to take these people into the land. He says, wherever you guys walk, wherever the sole of your foot goes, that will become your territory. Now, the opposite of that is true too. You don't get the ground that you don't walk on. You have to walk on the ground that you want to get it. It's all, it's all is connected. Where you go, that's what you get. As a matter of fact, write this down if you would. Victory is connected to where the people walk. We're going to talk about that more next week. But you have to go into this place. You have to fight the battle. You have to walk through it these days so that you can experience your full inheritance in God. Verse 4 is the, the, the geographic dimensions of the promised land. Now, they're, my map's not up there, but they're standing in the middle, and he basically says, as far as you can go to the east, to the Euphrates River, and as far as you can go to the west, to the Mediterranean, everything in there is your full inheritance. And the reason I want to point that out to you, even right now as we're, as we're just starting this study, I want you to realize something, that God did not promise to give his people some of the inheritance. 
It was his plan to give them their full inheritance. He wanted to give them everything. It is not God's will to bring us into a partial inheritance. Now, I understand. I've read all of Joshua. I've read Judges. I know how bad that gets. I understand that people make decisions and that they, they mess stuff up. Amen? Anybody here mess anything up? Okay, just making sure. Thank you. Appreciate your honesty. Yeah. Um, I understand that people mess things up, but I also understand it was never God's intention to only give us part of our inheritance. He wants to give us everything from the Euphrates all the way to the Mediterranean, if I can say that word right. Verse five, Joshua is assured by the Lord, I'm gonna be with you just like I was with Moses. No one will stand before you all the days of your life. Wouldn't you love to hear that from the Lord? No one will stand before you all the days of your life. I believe he's saying that to us. We are not going to be overcome by those who stand before us. We will overcome. And the Lord says, I'm not gonna leave you. I'm not gonna forsake you just like I was with Joshua, Moses. I'm gonna be with you, Joshua. Verse six is the beginning of the strong and courageous passages. He says it three different times, be strong and courageous. Verse six is funny because he says, let me read it to you. Verse six says, be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. It's interesting because he's saying, Moses or Joshua, I want you to be strong and courageous because you're gonna give them the land that I promised to give them. It's all the time in the scriptures, this happens a lot in the Old Testament, where God says to Moses, for example, I want you to go rescue the people because I'm going to deliver them. I want you to go rescue the people because I'm going to deliver them. God could do it on his own, but he says, I want to involve you in the process. Could God do whatever he wanted? Absolutely. But he chooses to involve us in what he's doing. It's always a partnership with God. He doesn't want to just do it on his own, and he knows we can't do it on our own. So he says, I will give you my spirit, and you will do what I want you to do, and we'll do it together. It's a partnership. That's verse 6. Verse 7 is another, be strong and courageous. A second one, God warns Joshua to be careful to be obedient He says not to to deviate from his commands. Listen to everything that I told Moses to do, you do that. Don't deviate. Don't go to the left or the right. And when I think of that, and we'll talk about this more later, but when I think of that, it's not just don't get off the path, like, you know, don't, don't miss the turn when you're walking. It's not that. What I believe this left and right thing is, is basically, I could say this as nicely as possible, God is saying, hey, buddy, I'm so glad that you're leading the people of Israel. I want you to be completely obedient to me. I don't need your help with strategy. Have you noticed that? Like in the scripture, when people try to help God, you know, like some parents say this to their kids, you want to help? Don't help. That's what God says. You know, you want to help? I don't need your strategy. I need your obedience and your faith. I don't need your good ideas. When we bring our good ideas to God, it almost always goes terribly wrong. That didn't didn't get much of an amen. I guess that hurts a little bit. Yes. Every time I, I bring my ideas to God, he says, that's so good, buddy. Thanks so much. Why don't you just have faith and be obedient to me? All right, Lord, that's what we'll do. Obedience ensures success. God says, if you don't turn to the left and you don't turn to the right, you will have good success wherever you go. So all he wanted from him was to be obedient, to lead the people obediently. Verse eight, he gives a specific command about the book of the law. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but rather it will be in their mouths and in their minds and guiding and directing everything that they do. Again, their obedience Uh, will lead them in a prosperous way, will lead them to have good success. And then finally, verse nine, the number three, be strong and courageous, exhortation. As a matter of fact, after this, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. Fear wants to be obeyed. When fear comes to you, it wants to be submitted to, and the Lord is saying, you don't have to do that. You do not have to be afraid. Wait a second. Someone, let me say this one more time. Somebody in this room needs to hear that, that the fear that comes to you does not have to be obeyed. 
It is a choice that we have. We, do not, we, are not, we are not under fear. Fear is under us. We have the power to say, no, I will not be afraid. I'm not going to do that. Now, there's a lot to that, obviously, but I just want you to know that we're not, we're not prey to the power of fear. Then the whole thing ends with God reminding Joshua a second time, I'm going to be with you. Wherever you go, I'm going to be with you. You're not going to be alone. That's an incredible passage. New leader, 10 miles from 40 years of walking, and God speaks to him and prepares him. He's the leader of a new generation with new opportunities and new challenges and new rewards for a new territory and a new future. It's all right there in front of him for them, and it's all right there in front of him for us. As it was for Israel, I believe it is for us as well. Because we're not, we're not so different than these people. Some people are older than 59, but take the chronology out of it for a second. We're not so different from these people in this way. We came out, if you, if you know the Lord Jesus, if you have a relationship with Christ, you have come out of Egypt. That is, that is the big analogy with the Old Testament and the New Testament. We come out of Egypt, we come out of slavery, we're forgiven, Amen. All right, good, you're with me. So that's many of us in this room. Most of us even in this room have come out of Egypt. We are now sons and daughters of the Most High. And we have heard, like these people, we have heard the great things that God has done through the word, through the generations of the church, through the, through the, through the, uh, the church history and through the, the testimony of even those who are older than us. We have heard about the great things that God has done. Have you ever been in a room where someone says, let me tell you how it used to be, and they start telling you about the amazing things that they saw God do when they were young? Raise your hand if you've ever had that experience. Yeah. We've heard those things. And we have had, at some level, we have personally engaged with the mighty works of God. We have had, if I asked you to write down some miracles that you're aware of or that you have been privy to or been part of in your life, we could fill up pages this morning. But there's more. There's more. We have heard what God has done in days of old and we are not doubting what God can do. We just want him to do it again in this generation. I'm not saying that God has not done anything in the past that is worthy. He has done amazing things. But here's the deal. I am not content to say, oh, well, that was awesome what used to happen. That doesn't happen now. I am content in him, but I am contending. We are content in him, but we are contending for him to do something more in this generation in our circumstances, in our lives. And we are 10 miles away, and I feel like we need to finish this final leg of the journey together and cross the Jordan and begin to see God fulfill promises that we have been asking him to fulfill for years and years and years. Without raising your hands, just think for a second. I, I'm looking around this room. I know people in this room. There are people in this room been praying for things for decades. Some of you have kids that you have been praying for for years, wanting to see there be a breakthrough. Some of you have been contending for, for healing, a need for healing in someone's life, your own life, and you've been asking God to honor his word for years and years and years. And my sense is we're moving into a season where God's gonna do some breaking through and we're gonna see the things that we've only heard about up to this point. We're gonna see God do it. We need God to move. It's like this lady we prayed for this morning. I have no power, but he does. And we are moving into a time where God is, we're saying to God, Lord, we need you to move. And he's saying back to us, and I need you to believe and be obedient to whatever I tell you to do, even if it seems strange to you, 
even if it seems weird or outside of the norm to you. By the way, when you read the Bible, don't you see that constantly? Stuff that's outside the norm? Like all the normal stuff, nothing great ever happens. It's always through the weird things that God does these miracles, right? Hey, we're gonna go to battle. Bring the worship team up front. Let them sing. That's weird. Who would, what, what strategy is that? And yet when Israel obeyed, God did amazing things. Hey, I'm gonna put some mud on your eyes that I made with my spit. And you're gonna go wash and you're gonna get clean. By the way, that's not permission to do that here, okay? You better know if God told you to put mud on somebody's eyes made out of your spit. But when Jesus does it, I'm running off and washing because I want to see. It's always the outside things. So it's a combination of our faith rising up, us believing that he'll still do what he used to do again, and our, and our willingness to be obedient to do whatever it is that he specifically directs us to do, even if it seems a little out there. We need to get used to being out there a little bit. Would you stand with me? Christian, would you come? I I feel like, thank you, I feel like um, God is calling Grace Church, and he's probably calling other churches too. Um, I don't don't in any way believe this is just a... A, a, an incredibly specific word for just the, our body, but I believe he's calling us to walk 10 more miles into a whole new season of personal renewal and spiritual fruitfulness and revival. That's where he wants us to go. Like, part of me is like, I, I don't even feel like I can say that. And that's part of the problem is that we've, we've as the body of Christ, especially in the, in the West, we've just settled We've settled for things we can control and we've settled for things that we expect to happen instead of believing God for more. And this is a season where we're called to believe God for more. So I want us to pray together. We're standing on the plains of Moab. We're 10 miles out. We're looking towards a land of fulfilled promises. I want us to pray together that our faith would rise up. Our faith would rise up. We would believe God to do now what he has done in the past that we would dare to trust that God has not forgotten us or forsaken us, that those words to Joshua apply to us, that he knows right where we are. I want him to, to do what, what, um, what we feel like may even be impossible. It's certainly possible that some of the people on the, on the plains of Jordan, of the Jordan, the plains of Moab outside the Jordan, 10 miles, some of those people had to be thinking, there is no way that God's gonna do this again. But they believed in, and they went forward anyway and God honored their willingness to trust him. I want him to do now what he did before. Let's pray. Father, um, Lord, I just confess to you right now in my role, I am, it almost feels like the enemy wants me to, to not be bold. And yet, Lord, that's what you're calling us to to be bold, to, to lean in, to refuse to accept what is the norm. And instead, trust you to do something immeasurably beyond all we can ask or imagine. That's what your word teaches us. This is not a capacity issue on your part, Lord. Nothing is too difficult for you. We just prayed it this morning. Jesus, you're the same yesterday and today and forever. So this isn't about what you can do. This is about what you're asking us to believe you for and to step into with our obedience. And so, Lord, prepare our hearts prepare our hearts. Lord, as we read this text, may faith arise within us. Lord, I know, I know it only takes a mustard seed, Lord, but for some of us, that's a lot. So cause our faith to rise. 
that we would trust you and believe that you're going to do now what you did before. We stand on this this morning in Jesus' name. We trust you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Help us to walk these next 10 miles and remove the lid on top of our expectations of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Two more things before I let you go. Number one is um, um, I want to give you some homework. Turn to the person next to you and say, I love homework. It's really easy. I'm just seeing like, no, I'm not saying that. I, I usually play with their little silly games, Tim. Not this time. No, I'm not saying it. Here's the homework. It's really easy. I would like you to read between today and next Sunday, every day, Joshua chapter 1, 1 to 9, once a day. It's pretty easy. Two minutes. Let that, that scripture get down in your spirit. Let it become familiar to you. Maybe commit it to memory or portions of it to memory. But let that passage get down deep inside of you. Joshua chapter 1, 1 to 9. First nine verses, book of Joshua. Second thing is, before I bless you, talking about coming out of Egypt into a place of freedom. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, I would love to pray with you. Would you just stick around afterward? There'll be an elder or two up here that would be happy to, um, to pray with you, to, to lead you to Christ, to help you to surrender your life to the Lord. It is, you, you can't get into the promised land until you leave Egypt. And so we want everybody to be out of Egypt, if that makes sense. And if you're just not sure, maybe you're like, I'm, I'm not even sure where I'm at. We will talk to you. We'll help you. Please, we care about you. Would you extend your hands in front of you? I want to bless you in the name of the Lord before you go. Grace Church family, may the grace of the Lord pour out on you abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And from Psalm 44, may God give you victory. You will succeed because of the Lord's mighty power. You will succeed because he favors you and he smiles upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this message made a difference in your life. If you would like more information about Grace Church, Visit us on the web at grace417.com or connect with us by filling out a connection card on our app.